All right, who knows the song? Rise and follow me. I'll make you worthy. Rise and follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. That is Rhonda Vincent, I believe. She's a bluegrass singer. It is the song that always gets stuck in my head anytime I hear that story that Jenny just read for us. Thank you, Jenny, by the way. This is the story of the calling of the first disciples. It is in all three Gospels, and it is in all three years of our lectionary schedule of Bible readings. And it's one that's really fun to act out. Sunday school kids act it out a lot. We actually have at church a box full of fishnets for this very purpose, which all of that is just to say that this is a story that uh, many of us are pretty familiar with. It's not like my favorite story ever uh, for a couple reasons. The first one being fishers of men. Come on, let's get some gender diversity up in here, right? And actually, thank goodness for the more recent translations of the Bible, which have switched it to the more correct fish for people. Uh, But it turns out, actually, that gendered pronouns are like the very least of all of the ways that we misinterpret this story. One of my least favorite things about modern Christianity is this idea that we're the only ones who got it right, that everybody else is wrong, um, and that we need to somehow try and convince people over to our way of thinking. And um, first of all, like, how arrogant is that, right? To think we're the only ones who are right, but also what a boring way to live if you don't think that anyone else has anything to teach you. Um, But this idea that Um, the point of being a Christian is to create other Christians. It is incredibly embedded in our national discourse around religion, Um, and a lot of it comes from this passage. Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. In fact, you too, if you go to www.fishersofmen.com, you too can sign up for a 12-week course specializing in person-to-person evangelism and train in tried-and-true methods to reach and teach lost souls. It, of course, is way too easy to poke fun at stuff like that. Um, And in the mainline church, like Unity, we often kind of tone that style of talking down to something more like um, what we want to do is live our lives in such a way, uh, live our lives in a way that is so attractive that other people are then drawn in to it. And maybe that's kind of a more innocent form of arrogance. But I I think it's still a little bit arrogant. And I, I think it still at its core is disrespectful of who other people are. Because maybe they don't need to change. Maybe they don't need to change. So here's what I want to throw out today. What if we get that story that we heard totally wrong? What if um, this idea of fishing for people as evangelism, what if that, pun intended, totally misses the boat? (laughs) 
of what Jesus was getting at in this story. So um, there are uh, a couple other scriptures I want to share with you about why I think this. Uh, three of them, and they're all from the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible. So, um, And I want to share them because um, this passage that we heard, these stories where Jesus calls the disciples, that's not the only place in our Bible to use the language and image of fishing for people. And the three other places where it shows up, they're all in the Old Testament, so all um, happened much before Jesus. And all our passages that Jesus, in his Jewish heritage and his Jewish original audience here, that they probably would have been familiar with. So the first one is from Jeremiah 16. 16, 16. So Jeremiah, this is um, way back when the Babylonian Empire has come into the land of Judah, um, has taken over their country, has destroyed their holy city of Jerusalem, has desecrated their temple, hauled their leaders away to exile. And so Jeremiah is this prophet who speaks into that situation. And then after many chapters of doom and gloom, he turns in verse 16 uh, to a word of hope from God. And God says, I am now sending for many fishermen, says the Lord, and they will catch them, the Babylonians, and they shall hunt them from every mountain and every hill and out of the cleft of the rocks, for my eyes are on their ways. They are not hidden from my presence, nor is their iniquity, their unrighteousness, their injustice, nor is their iniquity concealed from my sight. So in other words, a fisherman are the ones who come in and tear down the empire. Similarly, in Amos, this is from Amos 4. Hear this word, you cows of Bashan. <laughs> How good is that? You who oppress the poor, who crush the needy, the Lord God has sworn by God's holiness, the time is surely coming upon you when they shall take you away with hooks. Every last one of you with fish hooks. Good stuff. And the last one is Ezekiel 29. Um, this is a prophecy against an unjust ruler of Egypt. Thus says the Lord God, I am against you, Pharaoh, king of Egypt. I will put hooks in your jaws. I will draw you up from your channels with all the fish sticking to your scales. I will fling you into the wilderness. You shall fall in an open field. Your body shall not be gathered or buried and the animals of the earth and the birds of the air. I have given you to them as food. Oh, good stuff. In other words, you unjust rulers, that's this image of God reaching in, hauling out these tyrants like one hauls fish out of a stream, and pardon the graphic language, but this is what they're saying, flinging their carcasses and leaving their carcasses to rot on the land and be feasted on by birds of prey. That's the fate for tyrants. <laughs> so, in other words, when Jesus calls and says, come with me and I'll make you fish for people, this is not about evangelism. Jesus is calling emissaries to tear the tyrants from their thrones and turn the world upside down on God's behalf. Here's the thing, friends. God's project is nothing short of a complete overhaul of this world as it is 
and a recreation of this world as it should be, as it was meant to be all along. And as to what our role is in all of that, we need look no further than the character of Jonah, who was the feature of our first story and the world's most unwilling prophet. This is essentially the story of Jonah. God tells Jonah to take one step to the left, and Jonah goes 10 miles to the right. God sends Jonah to a minister to a huge city bigger than modern-day Los Angeles, and Jonah goes to one block. God asks Jonah to speak to the people of turning and transformation, and Jonah shares with them eight words. Eight measly words, that is all he is willing to do, and then he says he's done. But here is the amazing thing about the story of Jonah. It works anyways. The transformation still happens. Well, not for Jonah. At the end of the story, Jonah is still as bitter and closed-minded and small-hearted and sullen as he was at the beginning. But in spite of that, God is still able, through him, to bring transformation and new life to not just the people, but even all of the animals of Nineveh. So, here are the three things that I want us to be thinking about today. Number one, we are not called to draw people into us. We are only and ever sent out. God always turns us outward toward the world to be curious and adventurous and ever-expanding our ability to see things through other people's eyes. That's our job. Number two, we cannot stop God's work in this world. God is making all things new, and it's going to happen whether we want it or not, whether we like it or not, whether we choose it or not. Nothing we do can stop God's redeeming love, and thanks be to God for that, right? But, and this is number three, we can choose how much God gets to change us. God wants to make us new too. But that will only happen to the degree that we are open to it and brave enough to be it. So we can be Jonah, or we can be Simon and Andrew, or we can be the only person that God has ever wanted us to be all along, which is ourselves. May we be bold enough and brave enough to be our best and truest selves. And may we give others the grace and the space to do the same. Amen. <laughs>